Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Amen. You have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Who's got their Bibles today? We are a Bible-believing church, Christ-centred, Word-based and Spirit-led. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the Word of God. If you love His Word, can you say Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. Of course, we are in our vision offering season. Uh, Today is the last day. And of course, today we will be receiving our vision offering. Exodus chapter 3, verse 15 says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of, come on, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. I'm going to read that verse in the New Testament, uh, which Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, He said, But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I don't know if you've ever been in a room in your life where God strategically places you with big people. People who are much larger in spirit than yourself bigger thinkers, bigger calls, bigger anointing, thinking on a different level. Certainly in my journey in the call of God, you go to different places and phases and spaces where God will allow you to be able to be in an environment where your own faith is actually stretched. For me, perhaps the most recent experience was when I went on to the National Executive of Australian Christian churches. And I remember in my first meeting feeling kind of really nervous (laughs) because in that room were big people. In that room were people who've been in ministry much longer than I have, some of them anyway, have preached in environments, have built things in the purposes of God that perhaps in my own dream, certain things that I would long for and hope for. And I remember Being in that environment and how it stretched my spirit, it stretched my faith, it stretched my belief in the goodness of God. A number of years ago, Alison and I had the wonderful privilege of meeting evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. Who remembers evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who's going to be with the Lord? And when we met evangelist, that should be a picture of us, when we met Look how young I look there. That was about two years ago. Since then, I've put on a couple of extra kilos. (laughs) And, you know, Reinhard Bonnke, who's uh, now gone to be with the Lord, uh, along with Billy Graham, is one of the greatest soul winners in the history of humanity. Uh, He has, you know, Africa shall be saved uh, from Cape to Cairo. Uh, Let's plunder hell and populate heaven. In a single meeting, this man in his ministry 
saw one million people in the nation of Nigeria, single meeting, give their heart to the Lord. Imagine that, million people in a single meeting. It's on YouTube, you can see it. Came to Christ and we went out for dinner and and we uh, hung out with him and you kind of just feel like, man, (laughs) it's phenomenal, it's amazing. My, My passion and my desire for soul winning should be so much greater when you meet someone like evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. The verses that we read this morning, God describes Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. We can take my big head down. <laughs> he's the God of Abraham, He's the God of Isaac, and He's the God of Jacob. Now, Abraham, we know his story. In fact, many of you have perhaps digested his story, received strength and encouragement from the life of Abraham. You've heard sermons about the faith of Abraham, the stickability of Abraham. Some of you have heard sermons on the life of Jacob and the amazing things that God did through the life of Jacob. But we find Isaac sandwiched in between these two giants of the faith. And when we think about the life of Isaac, we can't provide too many examples like we could with Abraham and Jacob of perhaps a phenomenal feat of some sort that sets him apart as a person of faith. When you actually look at the Scriptures, you'll see that 13 chapters in the book of Genesis are given to the story of Abraham, around 10 to the story of Jacob, but only two when it comes to the life of Isaac. One Bible commentator said that Isaac is like the middle child. The oldest child makes the rules, all the oldest children said. (laughs) The middle child is, I'm the reason for the rules. But the youngest child, the rules don't apply to me. (laughs) When we think of Abraham, Abraham is a giant in the faith. But what separates Isaac? What makes Isaac somebody that the Lord said in the Scripture that we read earlier, this shall be my name forever, the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. Now, Abraham, of course, we know. Let's just talk a little bit about Abraham just for a moment. We know that Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland and to follow God. And of course, you know the verse that the Bible says that he was called by God not knowing where he was going. I mean, just try that verse with your wife one day. We are going walkabouts and we're just going to keep going until God tells us when we've actually arrived. And literally that is the story of Abraham. He heard from God, went on a walk of faith and he just kept going until God said, this is the place. Abraham's life was filled with adventure. When you think of Abraham's life, you've got the story of Abraham and Lot. You've got Abraham and Melchizedek, which speaks to New Testament tithing, because 
tithing was implemented in this story prior to the introduction of the law. Then of course you've got uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, you imagine what Abraham saw when all of that went down and probably the most popular story and the most well-known story in the life of Abraham is of course when God asked Abraham, excuse me, to put his son Isaac on the altar. And the Lord says to him, take now your son, your only son whom you love. And that is the first time in the entire Bible that the word love is actually used. And when God says you love something, that means that you must love something because in him is truth and there is no darkness. And God says of Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And Abraham goes on a three-day journey and walks out this life of faith and obedience to God, a promise that he had waited on God for 25 years. And now the Lord says, hey, that promise, I want you to place it on the altar and I want you to give it to me. And you are to go up to Mount Moriah and you are to give me your son. Now, of course, you know the story that Abraham did not go through with that, but he was prepared to do that. And as he walked up the Mount of Moriah, every step that he took, the Lord had a ram on the other side of the mountain because it's in the place of your assignment where the provision actually is. And it's in obedience is where we actually find provision, even though it seems to be contrary to our natural will and understanding. And so, of course, we know that Abraham, his story and the story of faith has been preached as probably tens of thousands of sermons across the globe that have been preached about the life of Abraham and the amazing ways that God actually used him. And in fact, he's the most, apart from the name of Jesus, the most featured name in the book of Hebrews. Some of you remember back in the 80s and 70s when you were in kids' ministry, You actually sung a song about Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had. Father, you know the song. What what a hero of faith. Now, when we think about the life of Jacob, Jacob's life also, remember we're talking Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Don't don't get lost now. Uh, Jacob's life was an interesting life as well because Really, Jacob's life actually started off not, it was not really his fault, but the Bible actually teaches us that uh, his dad, actually Isaac, uh, was loved Esau more and the mum loved Jacob more. And so right from inception, you had sibling rivalry that was created because a dad like this son more and the mum like terrible way to parent by the way don't don't ever don't ever parent that way and of course we know the story of Jacob that Jacob ended up being a deceiver and <laughs> Esau was super hairy like one of your siblings but Jacob really didn't have much hair and they tricked their dad because he had lost his sight and put you know, goats and ram skin on, pretending to be the brother so that he could receive the uh, blessing. And that blessing went on to the younger son instead of the older son, which was, of course, Jacob. So 
Jacob had this deceptive life and um, always looking for the grey. You know, instead of being a person of principle, he was a person that tried to look for a way to extract the blessing of God through deception because he believed that deception rewards more than integrity. And so we find that in the life of Jacob, even though he had this rough start to his journey, eventually this brother falls in love. (laughs) And in some ways, it's one of the most incredible love stories in the Bible because Jacob flees his father's house. He goes to work for his uncle, Uncle Laban. And for seven years, he works for Uncle Laban because he's hoping that Laban would give him his daughter to marry. And of course, uh, his uncle played trickery on him. He married the wrong person. (laughs) And so uh, Uncle Laban says, if you work for me just for another seven years, then you can have my daughter, Rebecca. And so for 14 years, Jacob worked for a man by the name of Laban just so that he could marry Rebecca. (laughs) Now, back in those days, they had no online dating services. And so Jacob loved Rachel so much, the daughter of Laban. He worked and he worked and he worked. What, What an incredible love story that he would give his heart in that way. Of course, from Jacob came 12 sons. Those 12 sons would form the foundation of the nation of Israel. And of course, you know that Jacob met God face to face. And the way that he met God was through a wrestling match. And he decided to wrestle with God until God actually blessed him. And God blessed him and said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, your name shall now be Israel. And the nation of Israel is named after Jacob. And of course, Jacob is also connected to one of the great stories of the Bible that we all love and we all draw strength from. And that is, of course, one of his son's names was Joseph. And forever, Jacob has this connection to Joseph, uh, this incredible story of faith, this incredible love story, this incredible story of diligence started with deception, ended up getting blessed, had 12 sons, formed the foundation of the nation, of Israel. What an incredible story. But when you think about Isaac, <laughs> here we go, break it down. When you, when you think about Isaac, Isaac, there's no major feat of faith in his life, except he did so in the land of famine and God blessed him for it. What we could say about Isaac is that Bible does tell us that he had flocks. Come on, I'm going somewhere today. Don't, I know I'm going heavy Bible at the moment, but we're going to get there. Isaac had a lot of flocks and herds and, and the Bible says that God had blessed him so much that really we could call him a successful farmer. <laughs> um, but yet God said, his name is there, his name forever. My name will be known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. But what is it about Isaac that God says my name will be forever 
associated with him. I mean, Isaac, we could say, was a loyal husband to Rebecca. And in fact, one of the standouts of the life of Isaac is that in a time when uh, uh, men had multiple wives, uh, Isaac only had one wife all of his life. And in fact, the second time that the word love is used in the Bible is in relationship to Isaac loving Rebecca. He loved his wife. And all the men said, hey, that was very, that was a terror. Are you guys serious? I'm going to pause for a moment just to give you an opportunity to think about your non-inspiring response. And we're going to reverse. Wives, you're going to forget the response of your husband. And all the men said, Amen. He loved his wife. By the way, Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca. So if you're under the age of 40 or thereabouts, and you're like, Lord, don't worry. Come on. Your turn is coming. But there's something about the life of Isaac. Now, it's a continuation of the promise that God had given to Abraham, but I needed something more. I needed something more about this man's life that God would say forever, my name will be the God of Abraham. Come on, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Abraham, I understand. Jacob, I understand. But what is it about Isaac that God says, for eternity my name is attached to him? And I found a verse. (laughs) I found a verse that bursts with insight into why, apart from the continuation of the will of God, that tells us something about the character of Isaac. Do you want to read it? Genesis 26, verse 25. It says, So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, speaking about Isaac, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. I want you to note the order. He built an altar, he pitched a tent, and he dug a well. Let me say that again. He built an altar, he pitched his tent, and he dug a well. Uh, This arrangement, the structure, the sequence tells us so much about Isaac's life. The first and foremost, Isaac built an altar, which means that he placed God first. He pitched his tent, that is. He put time and effort into the building of his home. Last but not least, he dug a well, which was a testimony to his daily life and needs. God is calling us in this vision offering. The vision offering realigns our heart and our thinking and the way that we operate. What's first? Is it an altar? Is it a tent? Or is it a well? 
And Isaac is in the story or in the name of our God. One of the reasons I believe is because Isaac placed God first. You know that God wants to be first in every area of your life. He's not an afterthought. He's not second. He's not kind of side of stage. He's first. The first four words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. He's always first. Now watch this. Abraham, over the course of his life, built four altars. Isaac, only one. But this one altar, he got right. This one altar, he put God first. And the vision offering is a statement. The altar in my family of worship, consecration, giving, relinquishing control, putting our trust in Jesus Christ, the altar comes first. In the Old Testament, the altar was used as a structure. This structure essentially would be mainly made out of stones and it's a place of surrender. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of exchange. It's a place of prayer and it's a place of worship. One Bible commentator said, it's where the divine and the human interact. We do need to say this morning that in the New Testament, there are no altars. There is only one altar, which is the altar that Jesus Christ gave Himself for as a sacrifice for our sins. That is all the altars in the, New, in the Old Testament point to the ultimate altar of the New Testament. So nobody please go home and build an altar in your backyard. It is finished. <laughs> but the principle, however, of the altar is relevant and powerful. The principle of the altar is where we come with our hearts and we open up our hearts and we say in this vision offering in 2023, Lord, a place of worship, a place of surrender, a place where I relinquish control, I place that first in my life. In the New Testament, the altar is a life of surrender. In contemporary church, we speak about altars. We say we're going to have an altar call. <laughs> now, it's not that this section of the church is more holy than kind of the last row up there. But really, what are we trying to say? We're trying to signify, we're trying to say we're coming to a place of surrender. This vision offering is an altar. It's an altar of worship. It's an altar where I'm realigned in my thinking. It's an altar that says, this is first in my life. God is first. And generosity then and sacrifice is a way of saying, God, He is a tangible, something tangible that makes a statement, God is first. When Alison and I got engaged, I was youth pastor. I was on $3.17 an hour back then. 
But I saved and I saved and I saved everything I possibly could to buy her an engagement ring. Went to Rosendorf's in Perth City, bought my ring, my youth pastor salary ring. (laughs) And when we got engaged, I was able to give that to her. Why? Because it is a physical sign. It is something physical of an inward conviction and belief. When we give, when we sow, when we give of our vision offering, like Isaac, we're saying an altar, a tent and a well. God, you always come first. It is a visible sign of an inward conviction. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, in the Old Testament, when the people came and they sacrificed, along with the sacrifice was incense. Incense was, was burnt all at the same time. The sacrifice, of course, is symbolic back then for uh, the people's sins. And of course, Jesus for us is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. But the incense represented worship. And there are countless scriptures, and we'll have a look at some of them just in a moment, of how the Lord would receive the sacrifice, but He would also receive the smell of the incense as an act of worship. And one of the challenges for us when we come and we give and we sacrifice, if we don't couple sacrifice with worship, ever been driving on the road in the country and there's a dead animal on the side of the road? and everyone's blaming each other. (laughs) But in the meantime, there's something that's dead on the side of the road that is creating a smell. And when we bring our sacrifice, if we don't couple it with worship, guess what? You may sacrifice, but God wants your worship. For God, the New Testament says, loves a cheerful giver. Today is not about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice and worship. Can you say amen? Why? Because He is first. An altar, a tent and a well. Can I have a good amen this morning? Exodus 29 verse 18 says, And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a, not partial, You do what God's told you to do. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. Here we go. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, we have a New Testament scripture about sacrifice. Paul the Apostle was ministering. The Philippian church came through Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus collected the offering brought it to Paul so that Paul could continue in the advancement of the gospel. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 says, Indeed, I have all and abound. In other words, he's saying, thank you. This is incredible. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Here we go. A sweet-smelling aroma, 
an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. May our vision offering in 2023, yes, it is a sacrifice, but may it be filled with worship. May it be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Paul looked on their gift as a spiritual sacrifice. Where? Laid on the altar of worship to the glory of God. When I was about 27, I was preaching at a youth camp. And at this youth camp, um, usually for youth camps, you stay on campsite. That's kind of how it works. I did many, many youth camps. There was this one youth group that decided we're not going to put Brad up at the youth camp. We're going to, you know, accommodate him in something that was a little bit nicer. I was grateful. I was happy to stay at the youth camp. I'd I'd done it uh, since my early 20s, slept in caravans. (laughs) I remember preaching in Port Lincoln once. They gave me one blanket. He was so cold in the middle of the night. But you just do it because you love young people. But on this occasion, it was a little bit nicer. Had my shower, put my clothes on, getting ready for the night meeting. Came to the lift and there was this elderly couple that I would say they were probably in their 80s. Now, I don't know if you know the smell, angel perfume. Who who knows that smell? eh? Angel perfume is like next level, man. You can smell that thing a kilometre away, right? The lift opens up. He had his bow tie on, his black suit. She had a nice dress on, kind of a little bit hunched over. But man, when that lift opened, the angel perfume knocked me out under the power of God. I was down. (laughs) It was so strong. It was so overpowering. Watch this. I saw an elderly couple. Man, they look beautiful. It was amazing. Church, our sacrifice and our worship is a sweet smelling aroma to the glory of God. Let's not sacrifice because of a need. Let's sacrifice, why? We wanna worship. We wanna worship. We want to bring glory to God. An altar, a tent, and a well. I'll finish with this. Tonight, I'm going to open this up a little bit more. There's a dinner party. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the 12 disciples. Lazarus had just come back from the dead, remembering that he was dead for four days. That was a really good conversation to be a part of that dinner party. (laughs) Mary, her heart's filled with worship. She comes, she breaks open a bottle of perfume. The Bible tells us that this perfume was so expensive that it was worth about a year's worth of wages. That's some very expensive perfume. She rubs it on the feet of Jesus. And Judas, Judas, we know that Judas was a thief. He gets upset. He makes a spiritual comment. (laughs) 
And he says, why couldn't have this been sold and given to the poor? And the Bible says, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he wanted to take some for himself. Jesus defends the woman and he says, leave her alone. This is for my glory. This is for my burial. The disciples, in particular, Judas, went to the extreme of trying to pull her down for her negative act. Jesus went to the extreme of praising her and said, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And the Bible tells us that that memorial, that act of love, that extravagant act of worship, here's the verse. It says in John chapter 12, verse three, Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spike and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. Here we go. And the house was filled with the fragrance oil. Why? She sacrificed. But what did Jesus recognise? The worship. The worship. Are there any worshippers here? This, I love your sacrifice. Praise God. Well done. But we want to be a church who sacrifices, but it's connected to our worship. If you're giving to a need, we've missed it. If we're giving to a request, we've missed it. Come on, are there some men here this morning who will say, my house, this house is an altar. This is the order of faith in this home, an altar, a tent and a well. Are there some men here this morning who will rise up in faith and who will say, this is the, as for me and my house, come on church, we will serve the Lord. An altar, a tent and a well. May our giving, our vision offering giving. Yes, we've spoken about debt reduction and I thought uh, Andrew Mills did a terrific job explaining last Sunday about how our, our church's debt has continued to come down and God's been very, very kind to us. But let's not miss the ultimate reason why. We are worshippers. Come on, we are worshippers. We want to be like Mary that comes at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, I love You. Lord, I like Pastor Brad, but You're better, Jesus. In fact, You're a million, you're a million times better. Jesus, we worship You. Jesus, You're the Saviour of the world. Jesus, You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this gift that I bring is an act of Worship. How's the sacrifice? Does it smell? It's like, whoo. You know, people who, like, who volunteer heaps but forget about worship. Whoo. It's like, whoo, something, something's wrong in that spirit there. The act is right, but the spirit's wrong. Amen. The act is right, but the spirit's wrong. God's aligning our spirit today. 
He's aligning our hearts. Why? Because we're people of worship. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Jesus, Saviour of the world. We honour you and we give you all the glory. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.